0: And welcome back to Living the Blues, Blues and Culture here at WEBS and the Ichabod in the Ichabod Fluellen Studios at 14101 Euclid Avenue at the East Cleveland Public Library. And we're here with uh E.B. Smith Project and WEBS. And we're here our guest today is Mr. Winston Gregg. And we were talking about uh, he is the founder and uh, director of president of the <laughs> <laughs> uh, black, the, yeah, the African American Music Association. And a question came to mind when I was uh, we were off the air, and uh, I don't know if I remember it now I should have wrote it down, but the role of the African-American Music Association here. Is it just one style of music or artist that you're looking at? Or is it just, are you, are you trying to develop all art forms as far as, say, rap, blues, jazz, you know, uh, acting? What, what are we looking at? What are we Everything looking
1: at? you just mentioned. Okay. Which good, the, only, the only diversion would be rap, which is negative. Mm. You know, if you're disrespecting the women and whatever, then we're not interested in that. Right. We can't help you, you know, um, and after a while, you won't be able to help yourself. Right. But uh, we want to be able to encompass all areas of entertainment, just entertainment.
0: Okay. And it's
1: uh, it used to be show business, but now it's business show. Okay. If you take care of your business, your business will take care of you. And the art forms of, you know, like singing, dancing, acting, uh, you know, gospel, the rap, the jazz, the blues, all of those things are things that we're gifted to do. It's unfortunate that we're not controlling our own destiny. Uh, Mr. Smith and I, we had on this way over here, we were talking about the black artists who have white management.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I don't have none against white people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, um, everybody black is not your brother and everybody white is not your enemy. Right. But it would just make sense if we helped each other. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. like, you know, we should be able to buy cars from black dealers. Mm. We should, you know, we should be able to deal in our own community. Now, there no disrespect to anybody, but after you get through performing, in some cases you're not allowed to go into that neighborhood where you provided the money for them to have those nice houses mm. and have those nice cars and provide for their kids to go to college. You know, so it's just something that's real basic, man. We need to really you know, just spend more time with each other.
0: Yes, we I, I I agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that. Because, you know, in every community, the money that's spent circulates in that community way more times. I don't have the exact figures of so what we don't be on the, I don't, you know, but it way more times than the African American dollar circulates in our own community. And we should make sure that we, you know, that the money we make and spin you know helps us you know you know and we right here in East Cleveland you know we right here in East Cleveland we're broadcasting from East Cleveland and East Cleveland library in a beautiful place beautiful building great people who have done great things you know and you can look at the community the devastation here and you can see what's happening when that when your dollar doesn't you know uh, revolve around in the community more than with us, it's less than one tenth of one percent of the time that we spend in money. It helps everybody else, but it don't help us, you know. So that's a problem. That's a problem. One of the questions I want to get to. We don't want to get. How 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 long has the African American Music, Association, Music uh, Association been around?
1: Initially, the uh, initially we got formed. And at that time, like I said before, with Mr. Campbell, and it was the Black Music Association, and that was 1987. Mm. Okay. It was it was formed as the Black Music Association, and as Kenny, you know, um, something that he told me, he said that CBS Records offered uh, Philadelphia International five hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars, you know, to you know come in and support and help the organization. He said the big mistake that they made at that time was accepting that money because they was gonna get that money anyway. He said after the organization took that money, then the record companies start siphoning off the leadership from the Black Music Association. Right. So now after they siphon you off, you're not gonna spend as much time with the Black Music Association as you are doing the bidding, you know, for those record companies that hired you. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that Kenny formed that was that Everybody black can't sing and dance and don't have rhythm. But there's other skills that you can employ. So that was the reason for the Black Music Association to give brothers an opportunity to be accountants, to, you know, be seamstress, to, you know, do the taxes. Just an opportunity for us to work together. Mm-hmm. That was the premise.
0: Yeah. So the whole idea uh about the music association is to have an integrated situation so you could help the artist who's coming in the door, the young artist who is being introduced from the beginning to the end. Exactly. Show them how to walk, how to talk, exactly, how to dance, how to present themselves off off stage as well as on stage. You know, what is the best representation? Exactly. Clothes to wear, you know, so you so you have to and each stage of their development you have to have people there to support them. Exactly. Which is one of the things that if, if anybody has watched or has been to Motown, which I've been a couple of times and you and you watched it, you know, they had people every step of the way to show people how to act, how to dress, how to do this, how to carry themselves. And I would imagine Gammon and Huff did the same thing. You know what I mean? So what was your what was your impression of uh Kenny Gamble, when you first went there?
1: Well, you know, my first experience with, you know, Brother Lukeman was uh, it was two friends of mine, uh, Melvin and Mervyn Steels. If you go online, they're online, they're Maestro and Lyric. Mm -hmm. Well, they were songwriters. And I met them in Pittsburgh. I'm originally from Pittsburgh, go Steelers. So when (laughs) I was, uh, I, I met them through a friend of mine who had a studio. His name was Lloyd Anderson, and as a matter of fact, Imam knows Lloyd. Lloyd and I, we went, we went to uh, junior high school together in Pittsburgh, and we, Mm -hmm. him and his, they got a studio and the whole bit. And Melvin and Mervin would come to the studio. Phyllis Hyman used to come over there, used to drink out of the bottle with the fellas, you know, the whole nine yards. It was some other people, but I would laugh when I think about Phyllis because she was like one of the guys. But she came over to the studio eventually, moved on, you know, to Philadelphia. But having that experience. That was my first encounter, like, going into a studio setting. And I never really paid that much attention to it because I wasn't trying to play any instruments. And, you know, singing or anything like that, that just didn't interest me. I was more interested in athletics. So, but anyway, the brothers was going to Philadelphia, and they said, Winston, come on and ride with us. So I ride with them. We ride up to Philadelphia. We go to Sigma Studios. My very first time going into Sigma. And when we go into the studio, Kenny and Leon, they had a big office like this, but they had two desks. And their desk was facing each other in the studios like they was watching each other and when i was in there i never forget kenny gum was on the telephone talking to cbs records and evidently they was asking him who did they have signed up and i think they got to the oj's and our kenny covered up the phone and said do we have the oj's and they ran and they came back they had a contract and he once he said that they had the contract cbs records gave them they gave them that uh the recording deal that they got and I always say the OJs helped cement that relationship for Kenny Gamble, you know, Gamble and Huff.
0: Yeah. I, you know, um, when you when you think about how we have to make it, struggle with, you think about the artists and all that stuff, you you start to think about <clears throat> getting more artists involved in an in organization like Black African American Music Association or the Black Music Association. How it benefits black artists because you get you, you find artists that they're young, they get money, they get they got fantastic talent, you know. And one of the things came up for like an example, like how R. Kelly is. I think he's a fantastic talent, but he just stays in trouble all the time. You know what I mean? He's got good ideas, music is, and and not just him, but other artists as well. You know what I mean? Um, and it goes back. This, it don't stop with him. It's, it goes all the way back to Charlie Parker and, you know, jazz artists, and everybody, you know, they don't have that support. And the African American Music Association gives them that support. If if you get them to listen and pay attention and you have the things in place to keep them strong mm-hmm. in the game for, for actors and the whole bit, it helps. It helps. You know what I mean? So what is your, what is your idea about trying to keep artists out of Having from having problems, and for instance, like the ones we just mentioned, it's well, been it's been it's been many over time. It ain't just. I don't want to. I don't. Want, I hate to single out. Say, well, r Kelly, he's this big guy with this. He got he's this kid with this. it. He is. He got problems, you know. Or he's he attracts these problems for whatever from the way he is, because he come off the street he's struggling. Man, get some money, man. Hey, man. But you got. You got you got young men who's football players, and you got jazz musicians, and you got rock musicians. You got all kind of folk that have similar problems. They may not attract the media like like he does, but that happens. You know what I mean? So, what is your your concept about
1: it? Well, that? to to me, one of the main ingredients that you know that's applied to athletes and entertainers and even politicians is that powder. Mm-hmm. Once you start dabbling in that powder. Mm. then you, you've you lost. Okay. You've lost your mindset. You know, you really are, you're under control. You, mm-hmm. You're being controlled. And that, when you look at, like I look at Unsung, and some of those artists who I see on Unsung, I know them, and I've been in their company. Well, I might not know them, but I've been in their company. I remember my first experience, you know, with a group here in Cleveland in a setting like this, and Powder was on the table. And everybody would go get the powder, man. And I, I kind of looked, and I knew for me. I mean, I don't drink or smoke, and never have. And anybody that know me can verify that. Because whoever's listening to this, I know they saying that nigga lying. He drink and smoke and all that. No, I don't do none of that. Never have. Because mm-hmm. I'm not a follower. Mm-hmm. I'm my footprints is for me. I'm not trying to get in somebody else's footprints. I don't care what they do. Right. You know, if I right. can't, I want to be in control mentally and physically. So nobody won't tell me the next day when you got high, you don't know what you did. No, you don't have to tell me that because I know what I did. So, you know, I believe that so much of it stems from the drugs, that culture. You know, you got the champagne, you know, everybody's getting high and getting drunk. You know, so when when you are in that state, you're losing your sensibilities. You don't know what you've done. At some place like that, you know, a man look good at looking at another man. You all look good. You know, now I know for me, I ain't getting high because I still like the girls. Yeah. For you guys, want to each other? Go ahead, go ahead. But I think that, to me, is is the the main cause of a lot of things that we see today with the artists. You know, they got the moe, they got the champagne, they come. You know, like there's something wrong with that. And if you're not wise enough to understand that, if you can't see what it's done to other people, then you know you're asking for trouble. And if you ask for it, you're gonna get it. You know, you see so many people come up with the same problems, uh, you know, like those guys that are hitting women and knocking them down. I I would have to imagine if they weren't under the influences, they wouldn't do that. You know, but, you know, you can't make an excuse when you become an artist or an athlete. You're on a you're put in another position and you have to understand you've elevated yourself away from the people that's paying money to come and see you perform whether it's athlete whether it's a politician you know entertainers you're in a a different arena and i think you have to prepare yourself to you know go into that arena with me having the chance to be in the company of some of the artists I remember years ago, man, I gave Marvin Gaye a cashier's check for fifty thousand dollars when he's performing at the public auditorium. I gave Al Green a cashier's check for thirty thousand. And that's when fifty thousand well, fifty thousand is still a lot of money, but that's when fifty thousand was really a, little, a lot of money. But that was my job with an entertainment company that I was working with. You know, having that opportunity to, to be in the in the dressing room, be at the rehearsals and see how those guys act. When they're not performing. That's the part that you don't get a chance to see. When they just real, when they just walked off the street before they put on them costumes, they you know, you don't get a chance to see that. But there's always a nice quantity of of the drugs. It's always provided. You know, and that's that's the controlling vice that's going on today. And I guess that's why when we talk about athletes and entertainers, that's why I've never been in the company of LeBron James. Well, I would have to think that if he is doing anything, he's doing it the right way. Mm-hmm. He has himself surrounded with his team. And, you know, like uh, he didn't go out of the box to go find the guy that's supposed to be the number one agent for the the athletes. No, he got his own guys, guys he could trust. Exactly. Exactly.
0: I think that's key. I think trust is key in anything that you're trying to do. Business Whatever kind of business it is, because it's all business. Whatever kind of business it is, you got to be able to trust the folks around you. You got to be able to be able to turn your back, lay down and rest. Know your ideas. You can't, you can't deal do business with a bunch of cutthroats and thieves. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, especially you know. I mean, but even but even cutthroats and thieves, they got to be around people they can trust. You know,
1: Look, there's honor among thieves.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here we are at. Once again, we're going to take a break from the, this is Living the Blues at WEBS, at the EBS Project. This is Blues and Culture. And we're here today with our guest, Mr. Winston Gregg at 14101 Euclid Avenue in the East Cleveland Library in the Ichabod Fluellen Studios. And we'll be back in a moment. Thank you. And when we come back, we're going to we're going to delve off into Infinite Scholarship Program, which is an interesting program that's been around for a while and has done a lot of good in the